Uh, since the beginning of this year, we have been in a series called Go, where we've been talking about everything from what the mission of God is to what is our personal mission. And this week in the Go series, we are talking about what is the mission of our local church? What is our local church's mission? What are we meant to do in order to fulfil the command of the Great Commission to go into all the world? And when I spoke at Leadership Night in January, on January 4, which of course you are also all welcome just because it's called Leadership Night, does not mean it's A, one only for people from our church or B, only for people who are in leadership. It is about leadership. And so I would encourage you to come. I don't care how many leadership nights you've been to in your whole life. Please come. It's a part of the fabric of who we are, encouraging each other in leadership. This year I spoke about how we are called to have a great year and there is only one way to have a great year and that is to learn how to become a great great servant. A great life is a life that is lived as a great servant. If you want to be great, learn how to serve. At the beginning of this year, our lead pastor, Rob Kettling, spoke about our vision as a church and he said, our vision and our theme for this year is this two words, love does. Love does. That's going to be our theme. You know, we can talk about vision We can talk about serving and we can talk about doing, but unless we combine all three and actually stick our hand up and say, I will serve, then we have absolutely no hope of practically showing the love of Jesus that he has called us to show. See, God wants us to share his love through our service. Uh, Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you've been in a relationship and somebody's telling you they love you? but their actions don't line up with their words. The way they treat you doesn't seem like they love you, but they'll tell you they love you. And you're like, there's, there's, there's something missing here because I'm not feeling that you love me by your actions. I think it's an ugly, hypocritical situation when that happens, when somebody tells you something and they're not doing it. And unfortunately, that is a situation we as a local church find ourselves in we find ourselves in a situation where we are labelled as hypocrites, rightfully so, because we do not do what we say we are going to do. We do not love unconditionally. That is what God has called us to do. See, when there is an opportunity for somebody to do something different than what they say, then there's often a relationship breakdown. And yet God, I believe, has called us to build relationships with people, not break them down. I think when it comes to love, it's more about what you do than what you say. And our ultimate example in how we should live our lives and what we should do, of course, is Jesus. Jesus himself coming to earth was a great act of love towards us. He healed the sick, that was an act of love. Jesus fed the 5,000, that was an act of love. Jesus turned the water into wine at the wedding, that was an act of love. Jesus died on the cross, of course, the greatest act of love ever recorded in human history. Jesus did not just turn up and talk about love, Jesus came and did love. It was a doing kind of love in his actions. See, I think the world defines greatness as things that are in terms of power, Possessions, what have I got? Material things, prestige, privilege, position. Uh, I think really our society says if you can get to a point where people serve you, you've made it. But I think Jesus is very clear in how he would measure greatness. I think Jesus would measure greatness in us as service 
not status. I think if God was to measure our greatness, and I don't think He does, but if He was, I think it would be more likely represented by the number of people we serve than it would be by the number of people who serve us. Even Jesus' disciples had arguments. They had disagreements about which one of them was greater. Who's greater, me or him? I did this, I did that. They had arguments over it, debates, discussions. Jesus said something very profound. He said, let me ask you a question, disciples. Who is greater, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves those who sit at the table? And they still didn't get it. And I think we don't always get it. I think we struggle to work it out. I honestly do. In fact, I know we do. We are much more interested. This is a categoric statement. We are much more interested in getting people to serve us than we are in serving others. We are much more interested in learning how to get other people to serve us than we are in getting ourselves to serve other people. How do I know this? Let me tell you. Interesting fact that blew me away when I, when I researched this. I went on to Amazon and I, I, I typed in how many books are there on Amazon on leadership? 245,480 different books. A quarter of a million books on leadership. I then typed in the words servanthood. And do you know how many books I found on Amazon on servanthood? 267. We are 92,000% more interested in learning how to lead than we are in learning how to serve. That should be a sobering statistic for us as individuals and as a church. See, our culture and society is all about how can I get people to serve me? You know, I think God is calling us to flip it around and say, how many people can I serve? One of the things I love about going on global teams uh, is watching the service of the people on those teams. Love it. I've been to Russia twice. I'm going back this year with another team of 30 people. And uh, last year when we were there uh, with people, from our campus, many of you who are here today came with me on the team and we, the ladies of our team held a spa day for all the little girls at the, at the orphanage, but also for the workers at the orphanage, the lady workers. And the ladies from our team did manicures and pedicures and they did their hair of these ladies. And some of them looked in the mirror at themselves at the end and started to weep because they'd never seen their hair like that. Nobody had ever touched their feet and said thank you. Nobody. That was an act of service, of love that I was so proud to be a part of. See, we are called to serve. Jesus said in Matthew 20, 28, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but He came to serve So whom are we meant to serve? It's a very simple answer. We are meant to serve everybody, starting with our neighbour. It starts with our neighbour. Now, one of the great stories in the Bible that many of us know is the story of the Good Samaritan. It's a story found in Luke chapter 10. I'm gonna read it to you from the message version of the Bible today, the paraphrase message. We are not building theology here out of this. So please do not send me an email about how we are using the message this morning. I usually use the New King James Version and you can send me as many emails about that as you would like. (laughs) 
But today, I want to make the point. I want to extrapolate the story because I think we know the story so well. Just then, a religion scholar stood up with a question to test Jesus. Teacher, what do I need to do to get eternal life? He answered, what's written in God's law? How do you interpret it? He said, that you love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and muscle and intelligence, that you love your neighbour as well as you do yourself. Good answer, Jesus said, do it and you will live. Looking for a loophole, he asked, and just how would you define neighbour? Jesus answered by telling a story. There was once a man travelling from Jerusalem to Jericho and on the way he was attacked by robbers. They took his clothes, beat him up and went off, leaving him half dead. Luckily, a priest was on his way down the same road, but when he saw him, he angled across to the other side. And then a Levite religious man showed up and he also avoided the injured man. A Samaritan travelling the road came upon him and when he saw the man's condition, his heart went out to him. And he first gave him first aid, he disinfected and bandaged his wounds, and then he lifted him onto his donkey, he led him to an inn, he made him comfortable, and in the morning he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper, and he said, please take good care of him, if it costs any more, put it on my bill, I will pay you on the way back. Jesus said, what do you think? Which one of these three became a neighbour to the man attacked by the robbers? The one who treated him kindly, the religion scholar said. And Jesus said, go and do the same. Who is your neighbour? Anybody who you come across that needs help. It's as simple as that. So we need to understand something. The word Samaritan now is used in a good positive way because of this story. That's why when we say the good Samaritan, oh, he's a Samaritan. That's because of this story. Previous to that, Samaritans were not seen as good people. In fact, they were the evil, ugly people of society. And so what Jesus did very cleverly was when he was telling the story to this religious scholar who was trying to catch him out, he made the bad guy the hero of the story. The scholar would have been sitting there going, no way was it a Samaritan. No, the Jew, the Levite, yeah, I can understand, but no way was it a Samaritan that stopped. Jesus was making a point. I think he was making a point because the man's statement and question in the very first instance was incredibly self-serving and narcissistic. He said, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? He made it all about him. How can I get people to orbit around me, Lord? His question was not, how can I orbit around the needs of other people? See, Jesus knew at that stage, of course, that none of us can save ourselves by works. We can't earn our way to heaven. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 10 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, for it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's always something to remember that we are saved through grace, but we are created for good works. Good works of what we are meant to be doing whilst we are here on earth. Go and love the Lord your God and love your neighbour as yourself. 
See, Jesus is making a point that it's our heavenly Father who secures our eternity. It's our relationship with Him. But we are called to live active lives of compassion and help to those who He puts in our path. We are not meant to be just sitting here on this earth waiting to get to heaven because we have our eternal insurance certificate. Christianity is not about that. It's about relationship. It's about a relationship with one another. Love was shown by God when He sent His Son. Love was shown by His Son when He died on the cross. And now love needs to be shown by us to our neighbours so that they can see Jesus. Never forget that everything that we do is to point people to Jesus. Everything, it's what our call is. Jesus alone is the one who can save. When we serve others, we represent the one who came not to be served, but to serve. We are His serving ambassadors. It's our job to love and to serve others is one in the same thing. I wanna read to you some excerpts from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I don't have time to read the whole thing, but it's a passage of Scripture that's read at many weddings about love. Though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. It does not envy, it does not parade itself, it is not puffed up, it does not behave rudely, it does not seek its own, it is not provoked, it thinks no evil, it does not rejoice in iniquity, it rejoices only in truth. It bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. Love never fails and now finally abides faith, hope and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. We are called to love. It is what we are called to do. We are not called to talk about love. We are called to do love. Simply, love is something that must do. It serves. I think this is hard for us sometimes because we don't know what to do. I think we can sometimes make a mistake of looking at our gifts and talents. What am I good at? Maybe I'll serve in the things that I'm good at. And then we limit how much we will help other people based on what we're good at. And now, I think it's good for us to be self-aware about what we're good at and what we're not. In fact, it's a prayer as a pastor very often that I wish people would have a higher degree of self-awareness. Not all of you are fabulous singers. That's why we turn it up on a Sunday morning. (laughs) But you know what? Uh, We are called to have a heart that desires to serve. If we do not have a servant's heart, then we can sometimes be tempted to misuse what we are good at for our own personal gain. And we do things that just work out for us and not for the good of others. And I think if our heart is servant focused, we can almost start to give ourselves a pass on fulfilling the needs of others. Because I think God will ask us to serve people in ways that don't necessarily use their natural talents. And when that happens, it's outside our comfort zone and we don't like it. We, we feel very awkward. You know, if, if you're somebody and you're, you find it difficult to display a gift of mercy. People say, oh, I don't have a mercy gift, Pastor. And I saw this person just walk past me and they were doing something stupid and they fell over. And so I said to them, well, you're stupid. (laughs) And and therefore, because I do not have the gift of mercy, I am unable to help you. So getteth yourself up. (laughs) 
That's what I told them, Pastor. <laughs> we don't get that opportunity. That's not, it's not just about doing what you think you're called to do. We are called to help whomever it is that we come across that needs help. If there's nobody else around to help and you look at a situation that needs help, then guess what? You're it. <laughs> there's no plan B. There's not, oh, why can't it? Oh, it's up to me. <sighs> Just do it. That's what the Samaritan did. The other two people, look, no, don't have a gift for that. Moving on, crossing the road. The Samaritan, need, I'm gonna meet the need. He even probably hated the man that he was called to help. And yet he did it anyway. And then he went the extra mile. He didn't just help out, what's the minimum level of help that I can provide this person right now? He went to the maximum. What's the maximum? If you're gonna buy somebody a coat because they need a coat, don't buy them a cheap coat. Buy them an expensive coat. Buy the one that's gonna keep them really warm. If you're gonna buy somebody food, don't buy them cheap food. Buy them good food. I think honestly our primary area of service will most likely be through the things that we are good at and talented at. But our hearts should be ready to serve anywhere, anytime, for any need. I think your talent will probably reveal your ministry, but it is your heart that will reveal your maturity. And as we mature as Christ followers, we have a greater opportunity to reflect Christ in how we help others. See, as we mature as Christ followers, we become more servant-hearted, not less. As we become more servant-hearted, our character is refined to look more like Jesus. As we look more like Jesus, we more realise that love does. So what can you do? You can serve at church. We have over 200 volunteer positions available today that need to be filled by you, attenders of this church. There's going to be a table in the lobby where you can sign up for one of those 200 spots and where I'm going to take the opportunity today to emotionally blackmail you to do that <laughs> by telling you that if you don't do it, nobody else will. Find a spot to serve. Stop looking for a reason not to do it. Just start serving. If you have a child whom other people very kindly take off your hands three weeks out of four, how about you return the favour? And maybe 12 times a year serve. Let's serve. When we do local community projects, go and serve. Last year we did a local project for the city of Edina. And I was very proud because we had 150 people turn up out of 1,000. What does that tell you? 750 people, either busy, I get it, maybe working. So let's take out maybe 200 uh, working on that day, maybe, uh, maybe a couple of hundred out of state. Uh, we at least had another 150 people who just chose not to come. The city of Edina, they asked, when we asked them what we could do, they gave us the worst job they could possibly give us thinking we would never do it, which was to cut down buckthorn in the local park. 
And so we had 150 people turn up and the park manager who has been the park manager for the city of Edina for nearly 40 years said, I have never seen this before. We cut down so much buckthorn that they needed to bring in more trucks and more trucks. The streets were literally littered with buckthorn for, for as far as you could see. And the city were like, we don't know what to do with it. We're like, get rid of it. We cut it down. <laughs> and yes, we did spray it with poison and we wore masks and we wore hats and we did everything we were meant to do. But the point is, we didn't, we didn't do it like, you know, for any other reason, but just to show love and service in our community. That's what we can do. You can love those people around you. Can I say, please, please, let's give people less reason to call us hypocrites. The Bible says in James 1, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble. I love going to Russia because I get to minister to orphans, but there are orphans here too. How are we ministering to the orphans here? How are we ministering to the widows? Are you ministering to widows? We have widows in our church. You have widows as neighbours. What are you doing to help them? I was challenged by this myself. I had an opportunity to help a local widow, a lady in our, in our street, uh, who her husband had passed, passed away about three or four years ago and they'd been married for 40 plus years. And a very soft, sweet-spirited lady. And, uh, and so my son George and I in summer, you know, you know six weeks of summer, <laughs> we're outside like everybody else. I'm throwing a football, throwing a baseball, whatever, whatever we could do. And uh, this lovely lady walked past and she saw me and she knew that uh, uh, our house was a teardown house that, that, that we had built. And uh, a local builder had been kind of giving her a hard time. She has an older home and they were really trying to pressure her into selling their home. And she was starting to feel a little bit intimidated, very intimidated, and she didn't know what to do about it. And so she was telling me, and she said, I, I, I don't want to, I want to stay here, I don't want to sell my home. And I said, you know what, Kathy? I said, why don't you do this? Why don't you set up a meeting with the builder and I'll come to the meeting, but don't tell him that I'm going to be there. <laughs> yeah. now, now, I'm not saying that I intimidated him. <laughs> I'm not saying that. But can I tell you that he apologised and she felt protected because somebody stood up for her in a very practical... Now, I didn't say... Now, Kathy, of course, James 1 says that uh, true religion exists to look after widows and orphans. So I am checking a box this morning. Just want you to know that. I didn't say that. I just helped her because she was a widow who needed protecting. Who can you protect? What can you do? How can you serve? We are called to be a father to the fatherless. Can I tell you, in, in this political climate that we are in right now, I want to make it very clear, we are a pro-life church. We believe that can, life starts at conception and we believe life should be protected. We also are a pro-adoption church and we believe that where there are children that have no home, that we as a church have a responsibility to provide a home for those children. And so every time I can support couples who are adopting, I do whatever I possibly can. That's what we are called to do. See, we are all called to serve our neighbours, serve those in need. And as we close today, let's remember that as Christians, our purpose and our mission must be to reflect God's purpose and mission. And His mission and purpose is relationship. It's His mission, so make it your mission. For some people, you are the closest 
to Jesus that they will ever get. And that's almost kind of scary. But it is reality. It is reality. Help your neighbour because that's what Jesus would do. If Jesus is the centre of your life, then his love for your neighbour will become your love for your neighbour and your neighbour will in turn feel how much Jesus loves them. See, Jesus wins when you love your neighbour. Jesus is lifted up when you love your neighbour. Jesus said, if I'm lifted up, I'll draw all people unto me. So what are the challenges for us today? I wanna give you three challenges. Firstly, I wanna encourage some of you who have looked for excuses to not help other people because of hurt in your life. Can I encourage you to stop blaming whatever happened to you in your youth, whatever happened to you in a previous church, whatever happened to you somewhere else. Can I ask you to stop blaming those circumstances for you not being Jesus to people? Because if Jesus is still the centre of your life, you are called to live lives of freedom. If you are stopping serving others because you are scared or you have fear, God has replaced a spirit of fear in you with a spirit of love. Secondly, can we start being prepared to do whatever is needed to help when we are presented with an opportunity, not just what we're talented at? Can we start starting to help Stop stopping. Thirdly, will we start a new life where our love for other people is not just spoken from our mouth, but it is noticed through the actions of our heart? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, you can tell what they are by what they do. So what will we do. Love does. Love does. Would you stand? Father, I pray, Lord, that You would allow us to take this message, You would allow it to produce fruit in our lives and that, God, that we would be challenged to help our neighbour. We would be challenged, Lord, to do what You've called us to do. And that we would not just look for opportunities to use our talents and abilities, but God, we would use our opportunity to look for people that need help, where we can show them how much You love them, and so they can find eternal hope through Christ Jesus, through the works that You have called us to do. Stir us today to live for You. In Jesus' Name we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on.